Good morning, I'm Randy. I'm one of the pastors here. Good to welcome you as well as our online community. Thank you for being here. Jesus Christ is the most well-known name on the whole globe. Jesus' name is known by all who ascribe to Christianity, which is one-third of the world's population, 3.5 billion people align themselves with Jesus. In addition to that, we have the Muslims, who uh, 1.5 million of them, who see Jesus as the second greatest prophet next to Muhammad. In addition to that, we estimate that 3 billion people even beyond Christianity and Muslims, know who Jesus is or know something about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the most recognizable name on the planet. But here's the question. How do we define who he is? How do you define Jesus? What do you hear at work? What do you hear at school? What do you hear in the neighborhood? What do you hear from your own family? You may hear things like this. Well, Jesus was a historical figure, a good teacher. You may hear, oh, Jesus was a prophet. You may even hear today, Jesus is a bigot because the things he teaches are offensive. I mean, it's a good question. How do we define Jesus? This is not an unimportant question because how we view Jesus is an unavoidable issue for every person on planet Earth. You may not be a Christian here yet today, and I'm glad you came because I'd like to ask you, where do you get your information about who Jesus is? But even we as Christians, I mean, all you have to do is go see what people post on social media about Jesus. You go, I'm wondering if we're defining him in the most accurate way. You say, well, how can we define Jesus? Well, wouldn't it make sense to go back to someone who lived and wrote about him within 30 years of his death and resurrection? The gospel writer Mark, second gospel of the New Testament, Matthew Mark, was uh, very close to the apostle Peter. We know this from the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 5. And he uh, took copious notes of what Peter taught and then recorded these thoughts in the book that uh, holds his name, Gospel According to Mark, which was published in 64 AD, which is about 30 years from the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the shortest of the Gospels, the most concise, but if you want an accurate view of who Jesus is, you need to read the gospel according to Mark. That's why we're going to look at it this summer. We'll walk our way through gospel of Mark to learn who Jesus is. Here's why this is important. 
If you're not a Christian yet, you need an accurate view of who Jesus is because it's an unavoidable issue. Someday, you will be called to account on what you believe about Jesus. I'm saying that as kindly as I can. We all fall into that. We all are accountable. And if you're a Christian, your daily walk with Jesus Christ is dependent on understanding what his word teaches. And if you want to be any kind of a witness for Jesus today, you need to know who he is. I hope that you've taken a look at the Bible project. We posted a note about that. You can just click on it and go to a video. These two free church guys developed the Bible project, which is a way to walk through each book of the Bible. And they have two excellent videos that are very brief that have to do with the overview of Mark. You would do well to grab that and grab your phone or grab your computer and watch that. Uh, In five to 12 minutes, you can get the full picture of the gospel according to Mark. One other thing that we are recommending for this series is a book by Crossway, The Gospel According to Mark, and we're offering this book for only $5 at the welcome desk. The nice thing about this is it includes the text of the scripture on one side, and the other side are lines, blanks, So you can have your personal time with God in the morning and read this and record your thoughts. And then you can also bring this to church with you and record additional thoughts as you hear the messages. Please take advantage of those. Mark, uh, we believe, was a close friend of Peter. And uh, Mark writes the book, uh, which bears his name, to the people of Rome, the church at Rome. These were mainly Gentile people. Mark was Jewish, but he often uh, talked about Jewish customs to help them understand it. And he wrote at a very key time. Mark wrote with a pastoral concern for the Christians of Rome. And you say, well, what was going on? If you're a student of history, you know that in around 64 AD, the apostle Peter, according to tradition, was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus Christ. Also, Nero, the emperor of Rome, started a fire and then blamed the Christians for starting the fire and Christians became public enemy number one and experienced widespread crucifixion and widespread uh, death in the lion's den. Uh, Some of these Christians were sawn in two. Some were coated with tar and hung on lampstands and burnt as lamps. And Peter writes, Mark writes what Peter taught in order to encourage people to endure. You say, how do we know that? Because of Mark's message. Mark's main point is we have a king a Messiah, the anointed one, who came in the fulfillment of Scripture, and he came as a suffering servant. If you go to the Bible Project, you'll see that Mark is divided into three sections. Act 1, chapters 1 through 8, 
describe Jesus and his miracles. More miracles are presented in the Gospel of Mark than any other Gospel writer. It shows Jesus' power and authority. In Mark, later part of chapter 8 through chapter 10, Jesus begins to pull his disciples aside and talks to them about his coming, suffering, death, and resurrection. Three times in chapters 8 through 10, he tells them, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again. And we're going to get to this in the summer because Peter says, stop being so negative. And Jesus said, didn't say, oh, sorry. He said, get behind me, Satan. Because he knew his mission, and he was trying to prepare Peter for it. So the Act 1 takes place in Galilee. Uh, Act 2 is on the way to Jerusalem, but chapters uh, 10 through the end of the book have to do with Jesus' crucifixion, his suffering and crucifixion. Please hear me. Half of the book has to do with Jesus' suffering and death on the cross and resurrection. If you want to know what the theme of Mark is, it is suffering. Jesus says it this way in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Mark wants to present to us the King Jesus coming as the Messiah in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures as the one who would suffer and die and rise again for our salvation. That's his theme. If you are not a Christian yet, please take note. Jesus came to serve you. If you're a Christian, I mean, a lot of Christians, we work ourselves to the bone, thinking, oh, I've got to somehow please God and work harder and harder. Christian, hear me. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. There's something about his death and resurrection that is so soul-nourishing that as he paid that debt for our sins, we can be forgiven. We need the Gospel of Mark today more than any other time in history. What we're going to see is that Mark wants us to know some things. And so he starts right out saying, good news. And then we're going to get to verse 14 and 15 uh, through verse 20, and there's something we should do. So there's something we should know, there's something we should do. What do we need to know about Jesus? Well, let's look at it. Right away, he says, we need to know this. Jesus is the good news. In fact, let me say it again. Jesus is the best news you've heard today. Jesus is the best news you will ever hear. Jesus is the gospel. Gospel means good news. Mark says, the beginning of the gospel. This may be a day of new beginnings for you. The beginning of the gospel, the good news, of Jesus the Christ. The word Christ is a New Testament Greek word 
that refers to the Messiah, the anointed one from the Old Testament. Kings and prophets were anointed by, by the prophets to signify the Holy Spirit coming upon them to serve God. Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah who's come. And he said, this is good news. This is the beginning of good news. A new beginning has come. This may be a new beginning for you and for me. And then Mark right away says, in fact, let me tell you about seven witnesses who testify to this. And of course, Mark is the first witness because he's writing the book. But secondly, in verses 2 to 3, he says, the prophets of the Old Testament are witnessing. He says, Isaiah the prophet wrote of this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I'm sending a messenger who will prepare the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. In Malachi 3.1, the last book of the Bible, uh, the prophet Malachi says there'll be one coming in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way. For whom? For the Lord. So Mark comes right out and he says, I'm a witness. The prophets of the Old Testament are witnessing. There's a messenger coming who will prepare the way for the Lord. Then the third witness, the messenger himself, John the baptizer, verses 4 through 8. John comes on the scene proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John, according to the scripture, is a wild-eyed fanatic. At least that's probably what a lot of people thought. He's out in the wilderness. He's dressed like an Old Testament prophet. His eyes are blazing. He's holding up the scriptures. He's telling people you need to repent and be baptized for a repentance. You know, this is quite unusual because uh, Jewish people usually didn't go through baptism. There were elaborate rituals of baptism for purification, but mainly baptism was reserved for Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish. Then they would go through this ritual baptism to signify becoming a cleansed person, and they would do that also in addition to circumcision. But here is John coming on the scene, and he's proclaiming this word, of repentance and baptism to, pur- to purify people. Uh, by the way, the, the word repentance means, it, it is the word metanoia, which means to have a change of mind and heart. It, the Bible often defines repentance as sorrow over sin. This is, this is not a preacher who's trying to make people feel good. This is a man who's in the face, authentic, he eats locusts. I mean, that enough would would cause someone to be curious, but people are flocking to him. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, if you preach the Bible, you're going to offend people and people won't come to church. People will leave the church. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. People are hungry for the truth because God is already at work in them and people flock to hear John the Baptist. I was reading uh, one of the commentaries on this, and he said they've estimated two to 300,000 people came out to hear this man. Why? 
Because there had been 400 years of silence between Malachi and John the Baptist. 400 years of silence. So people were, in Jesus' day, were going around, where are all these prophecies of the Old Testament? How come they're not coming true? Why isn't it happening? And now all of a sudden, here's this man out in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. And people are coming and they're being baptized and they're confessing their sins. And amazing things are happening. And he himself, as people uh, go through this baptism and they're weeping over their sins and they're going through this baptism of repentance, then brings in the grace and mercy we just sang about a moment ago. He said, here, as you repent, there's somebody coming. And this one who comes is mightier than me. He is the mighty one. I baptized you with water, but I'm telling you what, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm sure John was thinking about the prophet Ezekiel who said that God would come with a new covenant and sprinkle our hearts clean with fresh water and, and put in us that spirit of forgiveness that God would give us and give us new desires. The law of God written on our hearts. We'd want to do it because we'd been cleansed and forgiven. And John is witnessing to Jesus. He's saying, he's coming. He's mightier than me. Repent, believe in him. It's a beautiful picture. It's very significant that uh, John came out looking like the prophet Elijah and no one could argue with his mission and his baptism and his appearance, his message. He called people to repent. So we have Mark as a witness. We have the prophets of the Old Testament as a witness. Now we have John fulfilling some of those prophecies. And then the fourth witness, God himself. The Father's witness in verses 9 through 11. Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, if you're a Bible student and you're trying to follow the logical consistency of this, right away you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought that uh, John was baptizing people for repentance. And now Jesus is, does Jesus have something to repent of? I, I thought he was God and man. I, I thought he was perfect. Why does he need to repent? Well, you have to understand that there's about uh, three or four reasons why. One reason why Jesus submitted to baptism was to identify with sinful humanity. Aren't you glad he did that? When God wanted to reach the human race, he became a human being to communicate with us. And through that communication, identified with us. Even though he had no need to be baptized for repentance of sin, he came to identify with us. That's the love and mercy of our God. He also came, according to Scripture, to fulfill all righteousness. And he also came because when the Father spoke, and note this, the other gospel writers say, the Father, have the Father being quoted as saying, this is my beloved Son. Mark quotes Peter as saying, you are my beloved Son. God directly affirms his own Son there. You are my son, in whom is all my delight. So you have the Father's affirmation 
And then you have the dove coming down, the triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the dove lands on Jesus, signifying the empowerment, the anointing, the leading of the Spirit on the Son. What a beautiful picture of love. These are powerful witnesses. Mark wants us to understand that he is talking about real truth, a real person. We've got Mark's witness. We've got the prophet's witness. We've got John's witness. Now we hear the Father's voice. Mark is urgent for He wants us to understand this. And then we have the Holy Spirit's witness in verse 12. Because immediately it says, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. Which is very interesting because the other gospel writers say the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. They try to soften it. But Mark states it like it is. The Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go out into the wilderness to do battle royal with evil. Why would he do that? I was thinking about this. I know a lot of soccer players. I've had kids that played soccer. You know, if you were a coach and you had the A team, the B team, and the C team, and they were all pretty good soccer players, but you had somebody on the B team, second string, who really seemed to be getting better and better, and you wanted them to advance, would you say to that soccer player, I'm going to put you on the C team so you could improve? He wouldn't put him on the C team because this student would be kicking in soccer goals all day long. No, no, no. You put him on C team. He would say to the student, I'm putting you on the A team because you need to be tested so we can see what your potential is. Now, I, I know that's an inadequate analogy, but I think in part that's what Jesus being both God and man was compelled by the Spirit to be tested to see what He was made of. The Holy Spirit testified, witnessed to who Jesus is. And that brings us to this sixth witness, doesn't it? That the devil himself. All the Gospel writers talk about this. Mark is very brief. But it says that uh, Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now, I, I think there's a, a real good point that Mark's trying to make. He's, he's recalling the fact that Israel was 40 years in the wilderness and failed. But Jesus went 40 days in the wilderness and overcame evil. You know, the devil is known as the slanderer, he is the accuser of the brethren. He stirs up trouble amongst Christians and amongst families. His purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. He's called an angel of light. Watch out. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And he's a roaring lion. Because he hates the mission of God. See, Satan knows who Jesus is and he knows that what we believe about Jesus is an unavoidable issue for every person on planet Earth. And he hates that. 
Now we need to know that because a lot of people define Jesus in a cosmic battle with devil and sees these two beings as equal competitors. We've got Jesus and God, you know, we've got the devil and they're fighting and we'll see who wins at the end. Nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus goes into the wilderness, does battle royal with the devil. Read Matthew 4, Luke 4, you'll find out more there. And overcomes the evil one. Here is good news. Even the devil himself, in attempting to bring Jesus down, is a defeated foe. If you know Jesus Christ, you need not fear the devil. You should respect his power, but you need not fear him, because Jesus overcomes. It's like uh, one of my favorite preachers of days have gone by, E.V. Hill. At a great Promise Keepers convention, he said, when the devil knocks on my door, I say, Jesus, will you answer it? You know, Jesus is part, even the devil is a witness to who Jesus is. And then we come to the seventh, the angels. Jesus is out there, it says, with the wild animals and the angels are ministering to him. This is one of the great facts of scripture that because of the supernatural presence of God, Jesus is never alone. He's got angels ministering to him. And we're never alone in our battles. The angels witness to Jesus. So John, the Baptist is a witness. The prophets are a witness. The Spirit is a witness. The Father himself is a witness. The Spirit is a witness. The devil is a witness. And what are they witnessing to? To the fact that Jesus Christ is Son of God, Messiah, the hope of the world, the only hope we have. Do you see that? Mark wants us to get it. Well, that's what we need to know. But in light of that, what do we need to do? Well, here's where we come in. This is why I'm glad you came this morning. If you're not a Christian, you need to hear this. If you are a Christian, you need to hear this. First of all, Jesus says in verses 14 and 15 that he is bringing the kingdom. John's arrested. That means his ministry comes to an end. Jesus comes to Galilee proclaiming the message of the good news of God. Jesus' ministry begins, and he says, the time is fulfilled. That is, the time is now. This is a kairos moment. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's he talking about? He's not talking about a place. He's talking about a person. And wherever the king is, there is his kingdom. Jesus saying, hey, 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 the king has arrived. The time is fulfilled. Take note. Okay, what do we need to do? Repent. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. You know, I think we don't talk enough about what repentance is. Repentance is not just a change of mind saying, I'm sorry. And repentance is not just being sorry for consequences. I've fallen into this trap, and you may too. 
Maybe my kids caught me in shading the truth a little bit, and they call me on it. Oh, rats. Somebody is caught in a big sin, and they grieve, they cry. I've seen this with people who engaged in adultery, and then they're discovered, and oh, they're weeping and they're weeping. But it's not true repentance, it's rats, I got caught. And rats, I may lose my love interest. That's not repentance. Another thing that happens when we get caught is blame shifting. I, I, a man is caught in pornography, and when exposed, what does he say? Well, if my wife would meet my needs, that is not repentance. A wife is attracted to a man at work, and her heart get, begins to... And she's exposed for this emotional affair. Well, if my husband was more attentive to me, that is not repentance. When the Spirit of God leads us to repent and fall on our needs before Jesus Christ, it leads to a hatred of sin. I meet a lot of Christians, and I wonder if they're really Christians because they don't hate the sin. I mean, if you steal from your employer and don't feel the weight of that, you've not repented. Repentance means owning up to what I've done. I've, I've lied to myself. I've sinned against myself. I've lied to God. I've been, tried to cover it up and blame everybody else. I've hurt others. Repentance means owning up to that. And then to say, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to believe. Repent and believe. What is belief? Belief means we transfer our trust from our self-sufficient, selfish ways onto the one who, when he hung on the cross, writhing in pain, was paying the penalty for our engagement in pornography. That's a great bit of news. So many guys I know engage in pornography, and then, you know, they got that 15 minutes of, uh, that it's over. And they feel so guilty. And, and they, well, oh, I got to do better, I got to do better, I got to do better. No, 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 what we need to do is repent and to believe, Jesus, you died on that cross for me. You rose again. Your spirit came into my life when I trusted in you. Grant me the strength I don't know if have. This is the message we self-sufficient people need. <laughs> Repent and believe the king is here. It's good news. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But here's the fourth thing. The king is here. It's time to repent. It's time to believe. Number four, it's time to follow. In verses 16 through 20, Jesus comes to about four guys that he's been getting to know over the previous six months. And he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And what do they do? Well, Lord, we've got a career to think about. Well, I can't leave my wife and kids. That doesn't sound too fun, Jesus. Now, when you read verses 16 to 20, these four men 
and Mark likes to use the word immediately, but remember there's six months of relationship building that Jesus has done before that point. But these four men immediately leave their nets to follow Jesus. I think a good word for follow me is surrender to me. If Jesus is truly the king, we need to, we need to surrender to his reign. One of the convicting things we heard about Mahatma Gandhi was that he came to America to study and he wanted to know what Christians believe. And when he saw the life of Jesus Christ and the way Christians were living, he concluded it wasn't true because he didn't see anyone who was truly surrendered to Jesus. When Jesus Christ brings us to that point of repenting and believing, we say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Not as a drudgery, but as a joy. I got an email from a young man in our church, a student. He's in a country in Southeast Asia this summer, decided to take a year off, uh, a summer off college to go to this place where it's hot and humid. And you can't even, you got to use code words to even communicate with him because he could get in trouble with the government. And he's willingly chosen this because he felt Jesus calling him to do it. And doesn't that inspire us when we see people living this? I think of Larry and Jill Couch, members of our church that are going on Wednesday back to Greece to serve Christ. They're leaving their family, they're leaving their relationships to go over there to serve. Why? Because they've repented and believed that Jesus has called them to come. I've got a friend in Iowa City, Jeff Gilmore. He's retiring at Parkview Free Church today. They have a big celebration for him. And I said to Jeff recently, what are you gonna do afterwards? He said, I can't wait. I'm moving down to Dallas. I'm going to teach at Dallas Bible College, and I'm going to uh, join the teaching staff of a church. And, and this is all in my retirement. He, he believes God's leading him to go, and he's picking up and going. Did you know that today is Pastor Brandon Levering, our new lead pastor's last Sunday at Westgate Church in Boston? And it's been quite a journey for him. But he and his wife, as they prayed together, felt God calling them to leave the place they loved and the people they loved to serve Jesus Christ in another place. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, you may not be called to such a radical action, but what's the next step for you? What does it mean to follow Jesus, and what is in the way of you following? Because the joy is in the following, the surrendering. We have an elder. I knew him before he was a Christian. And God touched his heart. He fell in love with Jesus. And he and his wife and kids now have grown up spiritually in our church. And God is leading him and his family to do something radical. Jesus has called him. And he's following. Watch this. We're uh, Todd and Shannon Kennan. We, uh, we have three children. We've got our oldest, Sarah, then we've got Katie and Clyde. We've got uh, basically eighth, ninth, and 10th graders this year. And we have been coming to Stonebridge for going on 20 years or so, so a long time. 
some uh, intense time with, with both Randy and Robin, and I was saved in December of 2000, and we've been here ever since. So when I became a Christian, um, it was just almost the, the first thought I had was, oh my goodness, I'd like to, um, I'd like to spend my life uh, proclaiming the truth that's contained in the Bible. And how do I do that? Well, I think that's maybe that's vocational ministry. And so we actually had some serious thoughts probably in 2002. It, it wasn't the time that we kind of mutually agreed to put it on the back burner, that uh, it very well may come up in the future. Recently, I've just been convicted, probably in the last three years especially, that I want to spend the rest of the, while I've been involved in ministry, um, I want to spend the best of what I have, the best energy and time that I have in, in serving the Lord and advancing the kingdom. I, you know, the first thought was, this is too hard, you know, I don't want, I'm not pastor wife material, I didn't want to be a pastor's wife, I just said yesterday, you know, Lord, you must think I'm ready or he wouldn't be asking me to do this now, so um, that gives me some confidence when I think about that that he gives you the grace to do what he called you to do when he calls you to do it and not before. Um, how am I gonna, just how am I gonna juggle everything? How, how am I gonna make the transition? That's really, that's been the question for, for years. We, I am going to be doing a three year pastoral internship through Faith Bible Seminary, which is um, associated with Faith Church in Lafayette, who Stonebridge has really become a, a partner, partnered up with them for biblical counseling training. I kept sensing from God that what he, what he really wanted me to do at this point uh, in my career is just to sort of take a time out and do it the right way, if you will, and, and invest, in, invest in some training and education, even though uh, from an income standpoint during this period of time, it would be difficult. It just, it really felt like the right thing to do. I'm going to be doing that through Cornerstone Church of Yuba City, California. And so when, um, when Jason uh, took the lead, lead pastor role there and he started talking to his, uh, his, his elders about it, they were, it was sort of instantly a, a match. We have really for, 20 years almost been on this roller coaster emotional uh, decision process and it's been very difficult and so um, it's going to I hope have uh, at us both of us at a place of just at rest in God knowing that we're in his will and we're doing what we were called to do when I meet God, I want to be able to, to look at him uh, if he'll if I can directly and for him to say, yeah, you you did what I wanted you to do. And that's that's the ultimate motivation and there's nothing that's really can can trump that. So wasn't that inspiring? 
Now, uh, we want to call the Kennans up because we want to pray for them. This is their last Sunday with us. And uh, come on up here. We're losing some worship team members, them, and, but uh, Yuba City is gaining them. And like I said before, your, God may not call you to do the same thing that he's called the Kennans to do, but what is the next thing he's calling you to do? This is a new beginning. Now, each of us has to explore this this summer. Summer's a good time to do that. What's God calling me to do? So, this has been a long discussion, hasn't it? <laughs> Many talks. And I've asked Steve, who is the vice chair of our elder board, to, uh, but maybe I should give it to you first, because you, do you have some other things you'd like us to know, Todd? Yeah. Yes, well, um, certainly this has been a, uh, crazy and wild time, a very emotional time for all of us. Uh, we've got our parents here. They're involved in the emotional time of this, and it's been, uh, it's been very challenging. So I did have a couple thoughts I wanted to share, and then certainly we have some prayer requests. We, we need your prayers. So um, the first thing I want to communicate is just thank you for being such a wonderful church family for all these years. Uh, your faithfulness and um, us, we've received so much by being a part of this body of believers, and uh, we just thank you for your faithfulness, and it's meant the world to us. Um, we're certainly trying to follow God's leading here, but it's been, you know, it's, it's been difficult, and um, we're also uh, trusting that his way is best, and we're also uh, trusting that his promises are guaranteed, so that means a few things, but uh, one thing for sure that it means is however it goes down in this life, um, his church will endure. We're promised that, and we'll all be with him uh, together forever. And that's what I'm banking on, and that's what gives me great comfort as, I, uh, as we step into this. Um, we certainly have some prayer requests. Probably the main one is uh, Shannon is seeking a, a job, so she's been out of the workforce for a little while, and we're looking for a job for her that she would enjoy, hopefully. And a balance for our family, for sure, as we uh, uh, deal with uh, multiple things going on and the transition and everything. Uh, that God would strengthen our faith and allow us to just continue to put all our trust in him. And uh, finally, that uh, this Friday we'll be loading stuff into a truck. So if anybody, if anybody has some free time and wants to join us, uh, come see me afterwards. We'd love to have your help. So that's it. Would you pray with me for the Kennans? Uh, and uh, bow your head if you would. Lord, uh, we can't impart anything greater uh, to the Kennan family here uh, today um, that could uh, trump or exceed what your word already says. And so we look to your word and I think of uh, what you said to us in, in Hebrews, um, where you said that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And Lord, these witnesses are such as the likes of Abraham, of Moses, of David, all who were called into challenging things um, that were set before them. Um, and you called, uh, as you said in your word too, that as you consider those great heroes of the faith, that, that they're to, uh, we're to, we're to all consider, but I pray this for the canons, that, they're, they're, that they're, let, us, let them lay aside anything that's weighing them down right now, any sin that's clinging closely. And maybe that's in the form of pride, uh, thinking about the picking up and leaving and heading off uh, to, to California. Maybe it's in the form of fear. Um, 
being anxious and worrisome over all the things that need to be wrapped up here and the things that still need to fall into place as they enter into California. Whatever that looks like, Lord, help them to acknowledge that, confess that as we are challenged today and to repent from that and believe and trust in you. But your word also says in Hebrews that they're to look uh, and look ahead and look what's coming before them and lay before them, the race that's set before them. Um, you give them a new race to run, Lord, so help them to do that by your grace, by your spirit, your power. But how are they to do that? To look to you, Jesus, as the founder and perfecter of their faith. And Jesus as the better Abraham, the better Moses, the greater David. So not to look and ask, Lord, that you make them like David, but you help them to fix their eyes on the one who was perfect, that ran perfectly, that looked at the cross and joyfully went in that direction, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Lord, help them to look to you, the victor, the one who ran perfectly, and draw their strength from that today. I pray this for Todd, for Shannon, for Sarah, for Katie, for Clyde. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give him a hand of appreciation, Sharon. I ask you guys to stand up with us, please. I should say, uh, Keith, many of us are already planning winter vacations to Yuba City. To visit. That's a good idea. I'm not waiting for winter. Um, as they kind of get ready, I, th I think I said this first service. I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, this is a really jarring and difficult weekend for us as a worship team because um, this is more like we don't just play together on Sundays. We've been playing together for since they've been in middle school, really um, long time. And and when you're doing this every week and then going off and playing things and playing all the time. This it becomes like a, a subfamily almost too. So this is kind of it's really hard for all of us and emotional. And um, I just wanted to say, especially about uh, these two, about Sarah and Katie. Um, as much as they are wonderful musicians and have grown in that, they're just better young women. Um, so it's a it's a testimony for the for Todd and Shannon's kids that that um, and to their parenting. So uh, we just appreciate them sharing their lives with us. And uh, so we just want to think it's appropriate for us to worship together and celebrate what God has done for us in Christ, turn our eyes to Jesus, and just be reminded that one day nobody has to move anymore, right? 